0: Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. and mark taylor welcome to the undraped artist podcast great to be here i love talking to you jeff so yeah so we go we go we go back a little ways and have done some work together which is fun but it's good to have you here because i want to talk to you a little bit about your life and where you've come from and uh where you're going and um everything you're working on right now so let's start with your background what tell me a little bit about where you did where you came from and how you ended up getting into this art field yeah. So,
1: uh, well, first off, I think it's 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 gonna be fun to talk to you because uh, I think I'm uh, we do have some similarities in that we have a, a broad passion of what it means to have a creative life, and maybe some of the things I'll talk about uh, that I haven't talked a lot in other podcasts because we mostly focus just on painting, but I think um, especially with uh, things that you enjoy doing and. Maybe I'll talk a little bit of broader range of, of some things. But, oh, I uh, want
0: to, that's, that... that's definitely what my focus, what I want my focus to be. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we both have a, a mutual admiration in uh, Da Vinci
1: and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I consider, you know, a God, right. <laughs> in terms of just yeah. the, the person, the patron saint maybe of, of what I would like to have get out of life. And that is kind of a total immersion in what life has to offer. And so as a kid, I was, we kind of lived on the edge of town uh, in uh, Bountiful, Utah. Mm -hmm. we were the highest house uh, on the edge of town. And I kind of grew up in the back hills, wandering around, kind of getting in trouble. It's kind of a Huck Finn lifestyle. You know, starting fires when I shouldn't have started fires, Um, you know, finding buried treasure, uh, catching lizards, uh, catching snakes, you know, uh, backpacking, hiking, fishing, all kinds of stuff. It was a very kind of open-ended, I was kind of a turnkey kid where uh, my parents didn't see me. I, I left in the morning, was wandering and doing, you know, stuff with my friends, playing in the dirt. And then would come back, kind of at dinner time, uh, and I think that, for at least for me and the kind of creative uh, or the life I wanted to live, is really it was really beneficial for me because you know I do have to admit I do have some, and people would probably be surprised to hear this, and I and I actually haven't talked much about it, but I think I need to talk about it a little bit because it's I've noticed it's been a benefit to people is I'm kind of an anxious soul and I have a certain amount of uh, social anxiety. And, uh, you know, just being around people is both a great thing and something that I enjoy, but it's also extremely draining. And so I, um, I need to kind of go into those kinds of places, the outdoors, or um, I need to be away from people. And I think that's in part, a big part of my desire to go into landscape painting is definitely goes with my lifestyle hmm. um, and even going through school at the Academy of Art University, both undergrad in at BYU and then grad work at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco. I did enjoy that, but at the same time, you know, being with the model, being with all the students in a room was a little bit hard on my my psyche. So I am kind of a little bit of a a wanderer and to some degree a lone wolf, but um, I I really enjoy, you know, being outdoors, connecting with nature and kind of being away from the, the social aspects of, of human life that that have been, um, you know, that cause stress, I guess, to some degree. Yeah, you and know, it's interesting. I, what,
0: oh, go ahead. The,
1: the interesting thing is I married somebody that's extremely social. Mm-hmm. And uh, like if I had my way, I'd probably live out in the middle of uh, nowhere and then, engage with people on on occasion but my wife you know definitely not doesn't like that so we're we're more in this kind of a suburban lifestyle um with a big backyard at least to have kind of a little bit of a farm and stuff like that yeah so I guess it's the best of both but uh yeah anyway that's just a little bit about my personality why I kind of gravitated towards the landscape painting and environment type things is because of when my happiest moments were when I was just out in nature kind of connecting directly with things that don't necessarily talk back, mm. <laughs> you know, you could just engage with them on that kind of abstract level.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because for, I've been teaching for 20 years and, the, and I've always told my students to not stress about finding your voice, but to just let your temperament sort of dictate who you become as an artist. But this is an extreme version of that where you're an introvert so get as far away from people as you can and go out into the wilderness by yourself and become a landscape painter which i think is it's great you know do do what makes you happy but i mean that that's a yeah, testament to that idea of just go just choose the art that is natural to you and not to force it just do what feels right
1: yeah you know and i think there's a lot a lot to that um and I've had this conversation also with artists that are maybe deciding, you know, if I started painting teepees and cowboys and Indians and things like that, I could make a lot more money. You know, The market's really strong for Western, that type of Western art. But, you know, at the end of the day, I get back into this idea of, you know, the people and the and, and I just want a little bit more of the purity, even when I paint, uh, you know, cityscapes that are really bustling. I I don't focus as much on the human element, but more kind of what humans have created and and just on a kind of visual abstract level.
2: Mm.
1: I think I connect with artists like Richard Diemencorn quite a bit because of that uh reason. Um some of the Bay Area artists, uh of course, uh also Wayne Tebow and, and others, you know. There's just kind of an abstraction to uh, what they're interested in, and I think that's a part of what I'm what I'm gravitating towards. Less of the figurative element, uh, even though I guess my work would be considered in the figurative tradition because it deals to some degree with realism uh, or elements of it. But it's really not the realism that is attracting me, but it's the the shapes and the colors, textures. All of the abstract elements, those are the things that are really kind of gravitating, that, that I'm gravitating towards. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of the patterns, the patterns of light and shadow, the patterns of nature, the rhythms of, um, you know, even the movement of animals and things like that. All that kind of stuff is is really interesting. And that's not to say that I don't like, again, I don't like that I'm one of those uh, people that hate humans or things like that. I'm not. I'm not like that. But I just get tired. I get exhausted by it, uh, and so I need to kind of have a little bit of a barrier, visually or personally or in, yeah. psychologically, in, in order to do that. And I think that is also reflected in my work uh, as well.
0: Yeah, and I can vouch for that for those listening that 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 Brian's a nice guy. <laughs> he doesn't appear to hate humans. <laughs> um so you also do abstract and still life though which i guess um also keeps you away from humans as you put it um so what is your favorite <laughs> yeah. of the three
1: well i think i definitely my first love is uh often like cityscape uh so let me go back you, you kind of asked at the beginning you know what were my initial interests in being an artist oh okay so when I was eight, I, I took a huge, uh, con- I had a huge connection to uh, origami, actually. I loved uh, just the folded paper, mm-hmm. the lines it would create, the division of space. Uh, and um, there, there was something about it that uh, is like when you're folding the paper, you're centering your soul or something. Uh, there's a little bit of a Zen element, and I've kind of sought that, uh, you know, being an anxious, a little bit more of an anxious personality. Is as I tried to find those those things those, that I can do to have that kind of zen feeling. And uh, origami, the practice of it was quite. Uh, um, and and this is before the days where like you go on YouTube and find stuff. So I had to yeah. really kind of search out things. You know, I would make my own models and stuff like that. And so my room was just covered in all of these models that I made. Origami so that's models. That's one thread that has yeah that I that I created yeah. Like, you know, animals and things hmm. I create. So, you know, I'm eight years old and already making my own stuff and own models and, and things like that. Wow. So there's a little bit, uh, you know, the mechanical side or the geometry. And, and, you know, that later on, you know, when I developed Strata, Easel, you know, all of that is folded metal. It's basically origami and metal.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that's kind of a view that so I can rotate models and things in my head of how things are going to work, how the metal will fold and, and stuff like that. But, so anyway, the little threads like that through your childhood, I think, really kind of come, you know, on down the road and and uh, kind of pop up in other places. Yeah. Uh, and I, I find that uh, really fascinating. I think another another thread is water has always been interesting to me. I loved uh, fishing as a kid, and that's part of the outdoor life. And fishing, a lot of people will find say, "Oh, that's so boring." And, and I'll say, you know what the most exciting thing about fishing is? It's running out of gas out in the middle of nowhere.
0: Really? Why? But, uh, I'm just joking.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because, no, it's it's just it's just not. Instead of defending fishing as being interest or you know fun <laughs> or interesting, and I'll just say you know you can have some fun moments, uh, you can have life threatening moments, which I we did have, you know, forgetting water and getting stuck places out in canyons and and things like that, but. Anyway, I, uh, this this love of water too is is a theme in my work, and I've I've treated it on and off. And you know, I just uh, went to Sicily for three and a half weeks, and you know, toured the entire island, uh, all these beach towns. We we saw about forty five different towns, and uh, really, it was an amazing experience. A lot of it had to do with the interaction of the buildings and water and uh you know the clarity of the water uh I love fish I love uh you know I I scuba dive it uh and and some of those themes have entered into my work both uh my imaginative realism work as well as traditional work painting boats and you know painting uh you know the abstraction of water is just a fascinating thing that's something I'll be uh, talking about at Vision X Live as well you know it's some it's a theme again that started in my childhood and uh, as part of my temperament, yeah, to kind of interact with something. So when you have a sketch of Da Vinci where he actually studied how water swirled around after it came out of a pipe, you know, as he uh, noticed that, I really resonated with his desire to kind of understand this abstract motion that was going on. Mm. And other things, uh, you know, when you're out in nature, you're paying attention to the animals, you're paying attention to, uh, you know, the way... Um, animals move through the landscape, as well as clouds and, and, and rivers, and you're kind of paying attention to all those things. So there's, there's something to all that, I think that really, it, psychologically, we need and maybe we need it more than ever, because everybody's so stressed out and mm-hmm. outraged by, you know, what's going on in the world today. Um, I do think um, we need to, we need to get out in into nature a little bit more and try and calm down, find, find a little bit of peace there. And I guess that's, you know, that's something I've always tried to do as well.
0: Yeah. I noticed you were in Italy when you were in Italy, you posted a lot of, um, you painting on location, which is always fun to see. And so is that therapeutic for you when you're on trips like that to just get away from your, from everything for a few minutes, or I guess it will be a few hours and just be alone and paint a new place like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think plain air is, I, I consider it an act of meditation. Really? Uh, much like a yoga practice. Uh, for me, that's what it's become as much as anything is to, it forces you, maybe force is the wrong word because I think it allows you, especially me as somebody that has an extremely busy life where every single moment I'm taking action towards something. Yeah. And ha- maybe having a hard time. Again, my my mind's working really fast, and I'm what I'm trying to do is get it less anxious and to slow it down a little bit. And I think that's what plein air painting does for me, because um, ideas keep flooding in and and thoughts of things that I could do. And uh, my wife gets mad at me about, hey, we should do this business or the, or this idea or you know, let's you know even in even while I was in Sicily, I was like, we should. Uh, we should buy a house down here and, and fix it
0: all up. And, uh, you know, we could oh man. do an Airbnb and then come. <laughs> yeah, we do have a lot in common. <laughs> I torture my yeah, wife with know. that kind of stuff all the time. Totally. So part of it is, is, being engaged like that. And,
1: and, you know, like Da Vinci in his notebook, he says, remember to study the beak of a woodpecker. Right. And that's the kind of stuff like I look at that totally. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, um, mm-hmm. all kinds of things I'm interested in. So, like, say I, I travel to Sicily, I want to, I don't want to, obviously, I want to know about the history. I want to know about the culinary food, how it developed. Um, I want to know um, how uh, people are feeling today about things. I, I want to know why towns in Sicily are uh, crumbling, why people don't want to live in these historic centers anymore why they're giving away houses for one Euro. And, you know, what does that mean? Uh, how our house is changing or the, the landscape and uh, the people that are living there. And so there's a cultural um, there's all these layers of things that I'm interested in. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, it's an extremely active and part of that is that kind of anxious soul wanting to know everything and wish they had, I wish I had more lives that I could live. Uh-huh. and uh there's so many to explore and and uh and understand so with all of that i think you know plein air painting fortunately i'm able to do that as a way to also um record this make a living by selling my work but i'm really interested like if i'm kind of a darwin type character too like I want. I'm a naturalist in a way. I, you know, I collect. I have a bunch of seashells. I have butterflies. I have, you know, collections of old mechanical objects and things like that. You know, I'm just interested in a lot of different things, and so mm-hmm. that comes out in some decisions that I like to make in terms of what I paint, or like, in, for example, with still life. Still life is an extension of the things that I'm interested in uh, observing, looking at historically. Or, you know, in our modern times, um, like in the garden, I have a you know extensive garden and I'm growing all that fruit, these fruits and vegetables, and those end up in my still life. So it's just, I'm really, I love a rich, interesting life. And that's why I love, you know, like these conversations when we're talking together about you know, people like you that are really highly engaged, want to do different things, not content with just doing the same thing day in, day out you know, have multiple projects that are going on at the same time. Uh, you want to kind of really suck all the marrow out of uh, out of life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So and how we'll have you— Make um, observations. How have you— Okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'm just going to name off a few things that I know of that you've done successfully. So obviously you've made a great career as a painter. You developed Strata, which is a company that sells these great Pashad boxes. And then you've developed vision x live which is something actually coming up next month which is this enormous conference online with hundreds of artists from all over the world that present and then you're the co-founder of sentient academy S- so did i miss anything as far as your businesses
1: i think for the most part that that covers kind of the main the okay main things i have my hand on other things but that's yeah. that's all that really kind of
0: so the ones we would know about right the ones you're public with um so how do you decide when something is worth your time because clearly you're a great artist and you you do beautiful paintings um and i know you've talked a little bit about the anxiety and you and i have talked about this i deal with the same thing i work myself into like an anxious tizzy and then like i need to slow it down but so, how do you decide when uh, building a house in Italy is a bad idea and developing a the Strata easel company is a good idea? Like, how do you how do you work yeah. through that in your in your life? Uh, usually,
1: uh, my wife is kind of a, a trigger mechanism. You know, oh really? Like totally ridiculous. But I did have to. I do have to fight back about some things that you know. Everybody was telling me that Strata was a dumb idea. And so I, I pushed pushed her on that. But yeah, no, that's a good, that's a great question because there are some ideas that, and I and I would argue some people say, well, this idea wouldn't take that much time, and and what I would say is every idea, if you're going to pursue it in the right way, takes about the same amount of time, which is a lot of time, mm-hmm. and a lot. That's the reality of it that means even if you're studying earthworms, it's going to take all your time, you know, or if, yeah.
0: If uh, you're going to be any good at
1: any it. After. Yeah, exactly. And so, so that's, that's one of the challenges that somebody like Da Vinci had is like leaving abandoning paintings and maybe not doing as many paintings as they would have loved to do or because maybe he'd, he'd go in and he'd really focus on one particular thing for a little while. I guess I, I call them micro obsessions. But you wanna get you wanna get good at it or you wanna understand it. You mm-hmm. want to really uncover it. And um, I at the beginning of my career I jump into things a little bit and maybe waste some of my energy. And so part of it I I, I do tell myself like like this this house idea is it's fun to muse over you know, and talk about over a few drinks or, or whatever and um, talk about with, you know, different people. But at the end of the day, is it worth giving up X, Y, and Z for it? And is that going to um, ultimately, uh, you know, increase your happiness or increase your the, the life that you want to live? And, you know, it, it's always gone back to, the main thing is I want to have a creative life. I still want to keep painting. I still want to um you know uh make sure my kids are in, you know, good, healthy place.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh so why I think having a family, you know, having a relatively large family of four kids, that has that gives me a little bit of grounding to where I can't have all these I, I'm pretty certain if I wasn't married, I didn't have kids, that you would see I would be uh, maybe a serial entrepreneur would have 12 businesses or things like that and, and uh, be doing all of that on top of painting. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I want to read stories to my kids at night yeah. and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of the filter where enough's enough. I, You know, as far as, you know, making money and things like that, I don't think about that that much really. Uh, just my activities and the things I'm interested in allow me to at least have enough to where I were okay. And that's, that's good enough for me. I don't have any ambitions to be a wealthy person or, but I, all I want to be able to do is, is to, to be creative. Right. And when you're really stressed, maybe about finances or things like that, I know some artists going through that and me as a younger artist went through that. I know it's harder to be creative when you're extremely stressed out. Mm-hmm. So I do feel very forced in a spot where I can do some exploring. You know, the whole science fiction fantasy thing that I've been doing is kind of a result of being able to have some of that time to just kind of go down some of these rabbit holes, these interests that I have. Because I'm not as, con- you know, I'm not concerned about the the financial side of it. I just, I, I just enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, pure Uh, intellectual it's somewhere where I can just live inside my head and kind of think what if and take all those experiences that I've had traveling around the world things I've seen things I've experienced things I have felt and just kind of see where that process kind of takes me
0: yeah and you keep referring to all these things as part of your creative life Um, do you see these other businesses and painting as equally creative or do you, I mean, in other words, do you see Strata easel and uh, Sentient Academy, for example, as an art form, and do you treat them in the same? Your is your creative process similar to that of making a painting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. I don't see any difference? So, for example, hanging a show, hanging a show, is the art is the same as doing the actual painting. I think
2: mm-hmm.
1: so way it looks on the wall uh is still the art mm-hmm. you're still doing the art so i think um that's that's something that i see a lot of artists will spend all this time on making a beautiful painting and then just slap a frame on it throw it up there and i just wonder wow why when did he stop why did they stop becoming an artist <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Uh, think about the whole process all the way through and even that means the say you drop it off to a client the art is still happening yeah you know it's the conversation you're having the stories you're telling the 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 way you're listening to the person you're talking to and what they're feeling and responding to that that's all part of the art as well so i don't think art uh, at least in my view, art ever ever stops from when you go to bed and when you wake up. Uh, it's always the you know creative life is always a big part of it, and uh, even the way you have people over and the experience you create. You know, I try and create experiences when we have people over at our house to mm-hmm. have to come away having had a had a good experience. So um, yeah, I I, th- I definitely see like. With, with Strata, with, um, you know, the, the easel experience, even the touch of the metal having real materials. Uh, things that I've thought about too is the fact that aluminum is recyclable too. You know, there's this kind of uh, green aspect to it. We just, one thing that never sat well with me uh, fully, even though it, it's a, it's a nice substance or surface, is we have a plastic that we have the inner pallet
2: mm-hmm. is
1: a uh, high uh, polyethylene plastic. Um, but what we are working on doing is uh, changing that. And we've got a really good surface now of bamboo. Oh. And so a glassy surface on it. And, and bamboo is much more sustainable material. And so, again, that's a part of the art where you think what we're doing is fine, but let's, how can we elevate what we are doing to the next level. And so we were searching for all kinds of materials. And of course, there's also glass, but glass has its issues with weight Mm -hmm. um, and chatter, stuff like that. And so how can we, so we've looked through a lot of different substances basically in order to kind of create that experience. And and, and what that reminds me of is there's that story about Steve Jobs talking about, when you're a cabinet his dad is a cabinet maker do you put good wood on the back panel the panel that nobody can see back in the the back of the cupboard or do you just put crappy stuff back there and you know his argument was no you put a good panel back there mm-hmm. you put something that is you, as high quality as anything you have got in the front and uh, I like that I like that uh sentiment I think when you see somebody that does a high level of craft, they do think about all those kinds of things. You turn to the back of the painting and it's in, you know, there's some interesting elements to it or aspects to it. And, uh, so that, that, I, I think that is, like I said, you know, part of that creative lifestyle is that you, it's, it's a way of thinking. It's a a way of approaching life really.
2: Mm Mm-hmm
0: yeah it's I remember when I was in art school, well, a university, <laughs> hardly an art school, but um in an art department, and there was this sort of cloud of sentiment that 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 art was on this higher creative plane that like painting was this this uh like creative um the ultimate creative goal to be a painter. um, but as someone who makes mm-hmm. other things and uh, and is problem solving in other ways, I've found that there's 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 it's just another craft, right? there's um, I mean it's a great craft that can do a lot for people, make people feel good and make people enjoy their walls, and so on. but creativity is so much deeper than any one medium, I think
1: personally, yeah, I agree. I think we kind of do that like what's the best medium? Is sculpture more important than yeah. uh <laughs> yeah. than uh or vice versa, right? You, you have these kind of silly conversations about that and you know, I don't really buy it. Uh, you know, there could be a plumber that could be a total artist, right? Right, right. I agree. Just the way they, they handle themselves and uh you know, it could be the most beautiful set of pipes <laughs> you've ever <laughs> seen, but it is just a mindset, and, and as I go throughout Italy, you go through these cathedrals and see the just magnificent, um, you know, architecture. You see the the friezes. You see the faux painting. You you see just, you know, this, the uh, frescoes. Well, what is the best part of it? You know, and, and a lot <laughs> yeah. of times, you know, Michelangelo gets all the credit, but. What about Brunelleschi and his his contribution, right? And or Ghiberti and, and his contribution. You know, it's all of it that really that really uh, uh, builds up on each other and adds to this magnificent whole. And so, that's what's so amazing. And I love studying obviously Florence because what I love about it is the society, the entire society, and what the Medici family helped create was an entire town that was all into beauty, you know, and all into creating magnificent, wonderful things that for hundreds of years after people are still interested in. And I have to admit, I came back to, from Italy and was a little bummed out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cause you came back I mean, to I ugly mean,
1: America. <laughs> 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 I mean, just, it's just not quite, you know, when you're passing sculptures it, and, and, fountains and, yeah. um, you know, even the food and the culinary genius that has been handed down, um, it's a higher realm. It, it feels, it really feels like this higher realm to me. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's part of my, a little piece of me that wants to go uh, buy a house in Sicily. <laughs> so, um, but I guess I got, I, to some degree, I just need to be content with, um, you know, at least uh, once a year or so going over there and kind of filling the well, filling my bucket again with things. But I would like to see, I think in America, we still have so much more that we could be doing, right? To beautify and um, and to make things more engaging visually. Yeah. And build with materials that last. Uh, you know, I just love stone and I wish we would use down a little bit more, uh, as a, as a medium, um, some of the things like stucco and, and other stuff that just doesn't have that same, same feel yeah. as materials that are more natural. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned a Medici family and, you know, the way I perceive your life, I think is similar to mine and some others that I've spoken to in that, because in today's day and age, we don't have a Medici. I mean, that, that, that. Approach to art that whole business model, as far as I know, doesn't exist. At least it's rare. Um, so you, to me, it seems to me that you, in a way, are your own Medici. In that you you're putting yourself in a position to be able to do what you want, how you want, in the best way possible, by by doing these other businesses and by you know um, just broadening your scope of influence in a way. Or not even that, but even broadening your, your financial scope. Um, it's it's your, your own Medici, in a way. Well, yeah, and I did
1: realize at a certain point that, that yeah, it wasn't coming. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You know, there was no <laughs> benefactor that was going to come in my life. Uh, and even, even um, you know, a gallery can also act as a bit of a hamper sometimes to a creative life. It can now. I don't want to bad galleries because I do have some great relationships with some galleries and things like that. But most of them, the reason why I have the you know at least who I'm working with right now, and it's not a large number, you know, it's a small number of, of galleries, is because they allow me to do whatever I want to do, you mm-hmm, know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they 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 trust that that's going to be okay to do right. that. Uh, I think at the end of the day, when I have somebody telling me what to do. And I struggle with uh, commissions. Commissions are really hard for me. I kind of need that freedom, right? Mm-hmm. I need that, produces that kind of low-grade anxiety while I'm working and I second-guess everything and I hate, hate that feeling, right? But even when I do a commission, I'll say, "Gal, will paint this and if you do like it, great, buy it. But if you don't like it, that's totally fine because I'm going to paint it how I want it to be, mm-hmm. you know? It's that's kind of ends up. It's kind of on those terms. And if somebody, I haven't had anybody walk away yet, but it's an important mental trick for me to do to say, you know, I can sell this somewhere else if, if you're not into it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and so basically the idea that I can kind of talk about sizing and if they want a certain size or something like that, but that's kind of where it stops. Yeah. It's like, well, just kind of go from there. You know, you've got the kind of space you wanted at. But for the most part, I do maybe one or two commissions a year. That's it. I try to do as few as possible so I can just kind of go and wander out the door and get lost, uh, run out of gas somewhere, and just, uh, you know, paint and enjoy, uh, you know, what life has to offer. So that's really kind of in some ways my life purpose it's not at the end of the day, did I become the most famous artist in the world? Um, I do, I, that doesn't, I'm not really as you know worried about that. I do want to have these, what I'm looking for is authentic experience.
2: Hmm.
1: So, and, and even when I travel to Europe, I'm looking for authenticity as well. So for example, I found uh, someone that ha- packed their mozzarella in myrtle leaves because that's how they did it traditionally. They tied it up with a, a couple of these ropes and you know, the fresh mozzarella instead of the plastic bags, they 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 put it, you know, just wrap it in these leaves that were moistened and that's how they kind of served it. And it was just this beautiful thing. Here it is, it's just mozzarella, but it was in my view, a work of art. It was, It was beautiful. And so that, you know, it's the best mozzarella I've ever had in my life. Maybe not because it tasted the best, but it just created this experience and so I go out and, you know, go on these farms and look for, uh, you know, some recipes and things, you know, some secrets about how to live that kind of beautiful, authentic life. And, uh, tell you what, I, we found this, these people that were making pickling zucchini and, uh, that's the way I'm going to have zucchini from now on. Really? What is that?
0: Just, is it like pickled or something else?
1: Yeah. So it's pickled And then it, but it's pickle, like a fresh pickle, uh, yeah. and they can it in a specific way. I'd have to kind of show you the process of it, yeah. so I was just quizzing them about it, understand all of it. Um, and uh, they're just wonderful. So hmm. I'll tell you try some when I, I'm going to – So are you
0: a cook be, too this, then? This, this, uh,
1: a little bit. I'm more of a uh, – I'm not a cook in a sense. There's a lot better cooks than me, uh, but I am interested in certain specific – things that, so I'm not, I'm not like a general wonderful cook, but I, I, I love, I have been trying to make the perfect, uh, (laughs) spaghetti or ragu sauce for (laughs) about 20.
0: Really? (laughs) (laughs) You're on a mission to make the perfect spaghetti sauce.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, and I had a, I had a master that I, that I, I had dinner at his house every Sunday for several months and it, while i was in milan italy and he he was he's the guy that i've always compared myself to so huh. i'm always kind of trying to source the right ingredients and just the right mix to get just the the perfect uh perfect thing so you know just, just things like that and that that translates into your art i think when you approach approach life in a in a way of curiosity but also the desire to improve right and and push forward you know, incrementally be willing to fail multiple times
2: mm-hmm.
1: to get to the the thing you're after. I I, I totally embrace failure, and I, you know, I've failed multiple times on, you know, lots of different things, uh, and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. It's just the learning process, right? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of these paintings, and you know, people ask me, you know, what's your favorite painting? What's the best painting you've ever done? And I don't even see it like that. I see my paintings as uh, just leaves of a book in a journal kind oh, of, really right yeah hmm. and uh, I think that for me is it's more looking at the life the complete life of an artist rather than just the work uh so sometimes we compartmentalize and just say this you know it just look at the look at the work of of the artist. And, and at the end of the day maybe that's what uh you know an art historian that's all they're going to kind of look at and maybe the things that influence that work of art but i find it much more fascinating looking at the whole artist and seeing you know various layers and aspects of who they were and you know what they believed what motivated them um and and how that influence influenced their art so at the end of the day if uh you know the accolades or, or things like that that happen I, I'm, I'm not as interested in as I am in each day being a little bit different than the last one and improvement happening or jumping into something that's new and interesting, different to explore. Uh, I never see myself just producing the same type of work over and over again. Yeah, I know some artists have done that, they kind of achieve a certain level once they leave school and then they kind of produce that thing over and over and over again throughout their whole career. And I just don't see myself. That's where I look at Picasso and I do like one aspect of his career and that's, you know, he kept, constantly kept changing his abstractions, right? Um, I don't have a lot of wonderful things to say about Picasso, usually.
0: <laughs> Me neither. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that could that's one of them that I think, um, I mean, I'm okay with this idea of artists changing and evolving and growing. Yeah. Although I know the market kind of wants you to stay in a certain place. Yeah. So let me... I mean, that's what a lot of artists or, you know, people that told me when I was younger and in school is like, get good at a thing and do that thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let me... Backtrack a little bit to about three or four minutes ago in, in what you were saying. So you were talking about how you don't really measure the artist by any particular painting, but more like the thoughts of the artist, the experiences of the artist, the, the overall accomplishments of the artist. So would you say that, that any one painting is not really the, the most important art, but it, the artist himself is the art to you?
1: Yeah, I think it's the life more. Yeah. The complete life. The life force uh, of of an artist. And um, so that means not only what they created, but also maybe what they inspired others to do. Uh yeah. and how they motivated other people to to do things. I think that's you know, that's part of why Sentient Academy and why Vision X Live is i was seeing and this is for my own soul and my own needs and i'm and and instead of seeing what was i wanted to see what i would like to have happen and what i was seeing is compartmentalization where figurative portrait painters hang out together landscape painters hang out together digital artists hang out together all these different little groups and stuff like that and i was going to all of these different conferences totally different stuff and what I would what I wanted to see is actually more of an interaction between all these things because I love seeing cross-pollination I love seeing you know somebody that is a figurative painter goes and paints landscapes like it's really cool to see that you've done that you've you've gone in gone out do plein air painting even built a whole band to do that Mm -hmm. which is amazing um and and being willing to go out of your comfort zone so we're very tribal by nature, right? Humans are very tribal, wanna be in part of their tribe and see where they fit in the status, social hierarchy of each of these tribes. Uh, but for me, something that's more interesting, more dynamic is having different people from different tribes coming and and uh, interacting with one another. That's, that's dynamic, that's interesting, that grows. You never know what's gonna happen outside or with those combinations. So I, I look at somebody like Zoe Frank, and I love the fact that she's blended several different layers of styles. She she spoke last year, was kind of our keynote speaker, one of the keynote speakers, and uh, and we picked her because, you know, she's a perfect example of somebody that, adding abstract elements, patterns, with figurative work and, you know, Dissolving the form, bringing it back in certain areas. Uh, A lot of things that she's kind of mixing together to create something new. And so that's kind of fun to see that. It's also fun to see artists that go back and forth between using digital work and using uh, traditional work. You know, artists that are kind of hybrids like that can do both. Uh, And, you know, Dave Dibble is a great example of that, where, you know, he has this early career in Mm -hmm. animation then uses those techniques of a lighting designer to take his reference and light it in in really interesting ways and then use that as a reference for painting. So to create some unique uh, lighting things in his traditional work. So that's the kind of stuff that I think, uh, at least for me, engages me on a higher level than if every person just gets up and says, oh, my shadows are thin, I paint them thin, and then I put thicker paint in the lights or, Mm-hmm. You know things where you 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 hear it like twenty times in a row because everybody's kind of doing similar the same thing. You know, right? Yeah. For the most part. Where what if you had somebody come up and say, "I put my lights in first, and I put them in really thin, and I put my shadows in really thick," you know, everybody'd have a heart attack in a realistic. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's funny. Uh,
1: so. But that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, is somebody that, that does that and then pulls it off.
0: Well, that's somehow. the key, though. That's the one thing I wanted to point out. In that, it's not like you're you just pull it off. yeah, it's not like you're just throwing the net in the ocean and whatever comes up in the net you're putting in Vision X Live because you're no. you're still very selective. Because as far as I can tell, every single person, even though they're in all these different disciplines, they're all very good at what they do and they're excellent craftsmen or craftswomen, you know? Um, so So that ties them all together. What's that? Craftsmanship is,
1: craftsmanship's the bottom line there. Yeah. Right. Craftsmanship and caring about what they do and taking it to a high level. Right. So they don't necessarily have to paint or draw or sculpt or digitally create in a, in a specific way. It just needs a big part of its high level. Uh, we're looking for thinkers, not just practitioners, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's the thinking part that when we're asking questions like do this because it looks good, you're saying, why do I do this? Why is it necessary for me to do this? And what does it do for me? Or what is it conveying to the viewer? You're asking the why's, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The reasons behind why do you get up each day and go paint in the first place? Uh, and, you know, why are you spending hours and hours and hours on this certain maneuver or something, this certain mode of painting and this certain technique? Why do you set up the canvas the way you do? Why do you set up the lighting the way you do? Why do you choose the objects that you do? Or um, why do you abstract this area? Why not abstract it? Um, why sharp edge why soft edge instead of just that's how it appears so that's why you should do it right Uh, so I think there's there's a lot to be still to be explored and uh, you know one thing that's kind of exciting too is there's an element I've recently I've been working on a painting that what or that the initial imagery was created using AI Hmm. And so I'm figuring out some different textural. I'm developing techniques to try and mimic some of the AI, some of the things that AI has done.
0: Wait, what do you Uh, mean by AI? That's a pretty broad statement. (laughs) (laughs) So there are um, apps, uh,
1: applications now that um, with text, you can put in a bunch of word salad, basically. And then it spits out stuff. You Hmm. can blend things like, Blend, you know, uh, Michelangelo with uh, uh, Richard and You could just do something like that. Or Van Gogh. And so what, is, what does that look like? So then it spits out through all its algorithms, grabs some imagery off the internet, and then, you know, turn on the blender, then it kind of spits it out. Yeah. And it's develops textures that I've, frankly, not seen before.
2: Hmm.
1: And so trying to replicate some of those textures is maybe an interesting element that will end up in some, some of my work at some point.
2: Well, that so I'm, is I'm just,
0: really interesting.
1: I'm working on all kinds of different tools that even, you know, current tools, past tools that, that could, you know, take art further. It could be a dead end, uh, but I'm willing to spend, you know, a couple of days on it to see if it might go somewhere and then we'll kind of see from there, Right. make another assessment is this worth continuing on uh, or is it, you have to jettison it. So those are the kinds of things. I love that kind of exploration. That's what gets me up every day is like, it's not the commission <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the, the ability to be creative and, and try something new and um, you know, do some experimentation. Now, again, like you said, there's certainly a lot of crap out there. Uh, two, and you have to be just somewhat discerning
2: about,
1: you know, what you take, what you, what you let go. And, um, but again, that's to your own temperament and, uh, you know, making that decision, wading through that kind of stuff. Again, I fit, I fit some dead alleys, you know, some, or blind alley, I guess you'd call them. Um, and, but, you know, it's like the light bulb thing with Thomas Edison, you know, he tried all these different filaments till he gets the right one. Right. That he's tried over a thousand to get the the right one that you know will make the light bulb work uh to some degree you have to do that as kind of an artist and and an inventor type type of personality so some artists are more virtuosos right where they hone their craft and it's less about ideas and more about just the virtuosity of their ability but other artists are more thinkers maybe more composers where they're moving things around and constantly thinking about why this there and why that there. And there's a lot of repainting going on. I'm just talking about maybe a painter because that's what I relate to most. There's layers, there's decisions being made and and un, and taken off and then put back on and maybe multiple times that's happening. Uh, I think those people a little bit more interesting and and they also have this layer of the intellect, like, what are they trying to say with the work? And so even though it may, your decision may break with reality what you see, it is something that is uh, more going with a feeling or an intellectual thought. And so that's why you break fidelity with the nature, right? Maybe for the good of the whole painting, mm-hmm. you, you break fidelity with the nature. Uh, so that kind of stuff i find really fascinating is when you say yes i see the form turning there but i'd rather have it flat Mm
2: -hmm. because it does Hmm. it
1: it does something for the imagery so you make you're making a choice to break with nature so that i don't know whatever it is you're trying to say
0: well let's maybe it's a
1: you want sharper edges so you're angrier or you know it's like an angrier emotion that you're doing or it's a more a, a more forceful thing than if you soften an edge something like that
0: right yeah that's really i know I like I, you can get it- well i want you to show me some examples of that because that's really interesting to me and i've always i know you do that in your work because i've painted with you and i can see that you clearly take artistic license which frankly is why they use the word artistic it, it is what makes art art right when you when you add your own elements of and, and own creative decisions to the work, but I'd like you to, if you don't mind, maybe you could point some out. So let's see. Um, well, let's see, Should you could go to, go rec-
1: to uh, let's go to recent work. Okay. So let's go to evening, evening lights, the Loire Valley, uh, cause it's a more representational piece. Okay, yeah, so tell me about so unfortunately this one. The, texture, uh, the texture of it you can't uh, appreciate it's a large paint like 3648 right yeah uh, but if you know zooming in on it uh, it's the, the paint is in varying degrees of thickness depending on where you're where you're at in it mm-hmm. um, also what I've done is I've reorganized, the I've kind of cheated the perspective uh on the river and um you know you you somebody look at this and say, Oh you just copied what you saw. You would say every single thing it, in it, you would think, right? That's that's good but though. Everything has yeah, there but there's nothing in here that has that is what I saw in the reference. Not a, I mean everything's adjusted. Every, everything. every single thing in it.
0: No kidding. Everything
1: adjusted. So that's uh even the color temperature of the sky uh of course the main idea i mean this was done from a eight by ten plein air sketch okay i did this at Loire, France, and um i'm looking at the big broad shapes where this is you know a series of triangular shapes that i'm that i'm utilizing you know that culminates in those uh two towers this the steeple there yeah you know even the I fudged the reflection. It's, it doesn't. It's not how the reflection would actually work. Um, you mean and from the that torches
0: for... or the lights up here on the bridge? Your these so, reflections uh, here. So the
1: lights. No. So look at the chapel, the church up there above. Yeah. And then see how it reflects down below.
2: Oh, That's down That's not here. an
1: actual. And down here. Um, uh, down there, right? So I can't yeah. have a strong reflection on the bottom part like I – with the type of water where it's a little bit more uh, calm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you would actually it's very – you'd see the reflection very clearly. No kidding. Uh, but compositionally, it doesn't. And so I had to work to soften the edge in a way that I could convey the idea of the the points going down to the water without actually conveying – without actually doing it. And so psychologically, still
0: maintaining I've, the le, the level of realism, like it's still convincing and naturalistic.
1: Yeah, right. So that's that. There's an example, you know, and all these lights, they're all organized in a star pattern or a way that is feels haphazard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't copy any of the light positions, right? They're all in an arbitrary way, so that they. You know, the spacing is, there's variety in the spacing and also in the reflections, they would all be pretty uniform, but I've changed the brightness of each one, also the length of each one. Uh, Hmm. So they're all changed, right? So, you know, the clouds are all arbitrarily put in how I wanted to design them. The water ripples obviously were those boats did not exist. And I, there was a different kind of boat there, but I added, you know, some boats and also, you know, created uh, the type of textures that I wanted on them. Just they're basically shapes that I wanted in specific positions. Hmm. So again, everything in this painting is a fiction Hmm. based on the of reality I got from my little eight by 10 sketch.
0: That's interesting. So did you use photo reference for the detail or just the sketch?
1: I I did use photo reference for, um, I think mainly I needed it for the bridge. Yeah, there's because there's a lot of detail of in that. I, the ellipse, basically the ellipse of the, the bridge, you know, yeah. and how that would work. But again, I, I also fudged that because bridges look terrible in photographs. They are... Cause they're so warped in per- their perspective when you get a, mm-hmm. a small photo of them, um, they, it doesn't look natural. And so I faked the perspective of it, yeah. uh, in order to make it work. Wow. So I had to make adjustments. As well, so there's a lot of uh, things there. And so my work on imaginative realism has greatly helped, even though you would think, what is Brian doing wasting his time painting spaceships or. Castles or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, it in something like this to uh, convey a sense of realism, even though I'm just completely redesigning it.
0: So, so, what are your thoughts in balancing the these two potential priorities for a landscape painter? I mean, one landscape painter might say my job as a landscape painter or maybe my desire as a landscape painter is to capture a sense of place like almost like a documentary artist going out and saying this is where i was this is that place and here's how i captured it versus saying i'm looking for the most beautiful picture like it seems to me that you're more interested in making the best picture possible and less interested in place is that fair to say yeah.
1: Yeah, and I and I hate people ask me when I paint a cityscape. <laughs> they're Like, where? What street is this? Mm-hmm. And I'll just like I don't know. I wasn't looking at the street signs. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I just happen to be standing in a place where a car wouldn't hit me, and that looked cool, or that you know the, the shapes and the design and the spacing. So I, uh, you know, I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff uh, right. so much. Um, I can't even remember the town that this was uh i it you know even though i did sit there it was just about i like this this the kind of the spiky shapes coming with this kind of long horizontal So i've got a little bit of a cross there it's almost like those spires sit right on the golden section right of mm. that landscape
0: oh yeah that's true in both directions right um So have you ever been in a place where you said to yourself, this place needs to just be painted just as it is? Never. Wow, that's interesting. It's such a contrast because there are so many artists, not so many, but there are probably, it it might be split down the middle, I don't know, but there are many artists that are very true to place. And so it's interesting how there can be such different priorities in the same subject matter. And I think both are valid. Well, it's just interesting.
1: Yeah, no, I know. And I, I know there's like the site size painters too. Yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, I, I tried. That I understand that. What I found is that I was trading emotion for a uh, complete emotional response for entire intellect. Mm. And I think there's a value though in that. Um, but I wouldn't want to do that as a life practice. Right moving things around and composing Mm -hmm. is one of the great joys I feel of a landscape painter. Yeah. And if you, if you are depriving yourself of that, sure people will clap. Wow. You copied that, copied that perfectly. It looks as good or better than a photograph. (laughs) You know, um, I, I just, for me is, did it create, did it evoke an emotion, and I and I, I guess I side with um, George Innes on that idea that the purpose of a landscape landscape painting is to convey an emotion That's rather good. than some yeah. sort of a, so.
0: Well, let's. I kind of side on that. Let's see if is there another one that we oh, can talk about. Go,
1: go to uh instead of the recent work. Go okay. to archive.
0: I love your Asian, I don't know what country this is in, but the ones that you've painted in various countries in Asia. Well, we can
1: talk about that for a second uh, if you want to pull up that painting.
0: Which one? This one up here? Sure. Okay. So if you look at the writing,
1: I I even had some Chinese people like, wow, your writing's amazing. And i and I have no idea what it says, and I wasn't even copying anything. So basically it's complete gibberish
2: hmm. right
1: There's no in, in that banner there, the writing is I just made it up hmm. and and I think that's an example of visually conveying the idea rather than just exactly trying to you know say, you know the fruit costs this is you know bargain fruit market
2: right sort of,
1: or whatever it was supposed to say. its a, a party slogan like be a good citizen or, or something like that. Uh, so uh, what I wanted to convey here is this is a fruit market. It has some colorful aspects in a very dingy, very uh, developing world environment. And and so my mark making and things reflect all of that, the the grit of the place and when you're in a market like this you definitely feel the the grit you know there's germs everywhere you know you really feel this sense of there's just like overpowering amount of visual information in places like that and that was what i was trying to convey with with something like this so what i did is even on the the you know things aren't necessarily perfect like the the roundness of the forms of the chinese lanterns
2: could mm-hmm. certainly
1: be more fleshed out, but the brevity of which I, you know, captured this, uh, I think conveys better all those kinds of feelings of the, the layers of textures, things kind of <laughs> haphazard, falling apart, stuff like that. I, I just feel like it conveys it a whole lot more oh, I than agree. if I went in and spent another, uh, you know, five or six days on this, perfecting everything. So, it's it just kind of choices that I make based on the emotion that I'm trying to create rather than the extrinsic fact of the, the imagery or whether those fruits trying to describe, okay, this is eggplant, this is tomato. Like if you look at the fruit there, I haven't really told you, you can kind of make some educated guesses, but I haven't really told you what kind of fruit that is. Mm-mm. Because I found when you paint all of the fruit all perfect. It will lose that quality, that initial quality that I was after.
0: Yeah, and it's very thin and washy, which I think adds to that grittiness you're talking about. Like the foreground is just a wash. Right. Yeah, it's kind of amazing yep. how how little paint there is on it.
1: A wash actually mimics the patina of all the surfaces a lot better than I'm than if I use thick paint having these washes, uh, almost using oil painting, oil paint like a watercolor. Uh, again, talking about those ideas of cross-pollination, I've studied a lot of watercolorists and done some watercolor myself in order to use oils a little bit more like watercolor. That's what I've done here
2: mm-hmm. is a lot of
1: these applications, washes, and I haven't really gone back in with opaque, opaque paint afterwards in a lot of these areas. And what's that, what that's created is these patinas these accidentals, this kind of natural feeling of weathering and age, that I found so interesting and uh, very visceral in in places like this. And so that's that was kind of the idea of what I was trying to convey here.
0: So okay, yeah, man, it's gorgeous. I want to look at one. Let me look at one more of your landscapes here. Oh my gosh, let's look at this one. You know what? This is amazing because the perspective on a boat like this is very difficult and you did it It yeah. looks effortless. Well, it's, yeah. One
1: of those pieces where you don't, you don't change anything. You just kind of put it out again. I could have corrected a few things. The uh, yellow boat's a little elongated, uh, you know, and there's, but, Again, I like the idea of the brevity of the stroke. Uh, there is something I find compelling about, you know, putting it down and leaving it, like you have, you know, the, like what you find in plein air work. You you just, you know, lay the stroke down in your first impression and and kind of leave it. And so nothing here has been really modified all that much. It's It's really just, an observations made and uh you know a friend told me this and I, and I like it where it's like I may not be right but I'm going to be certain about it mhm like I'm just going to commit and and having that you when know, people ask me like oh, how do you paint loose you know there's a a massive amount of it is just having that confidence of mm. just placing and leaving it so yeah if you're going back in and back in and back in um Sure, you'll get to maybe a more refined solution, but at the same time, you're going to give up all that freshness and spontaneity spontaneity that that can that can happen. And so that's what i i'm I'm always in my work kind of that back and forth between the spontaneous and the and the you know refined. So a couple of strokes at the end, maybe a little bit more clearly thought. I'm very rapid painter at the beginning, and then slow down. Uh, you know, in a couple, you know, towards the end, obviously, but, um, I do try not to, I do try and hold myself back from going in and rendering everything out. I could do that, but I, I, I find my goals wanting to stay into that place where things are freshly laid down and then, and then left. Yeah. So, uh. and and then move on to another idea another leaf in the in the journal another another page in the journal
0: right right
1: is is kind of what i
0: so yeah you mentioned this this idea of confidence though in order to keep it loose i mean but don't you think that 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 confidence if uh acquired too early without the drawing basis might cause some chaos in a painting There's a lot of barked paintings, you know, <laughs>
1: and, and people think maybe this is an easier way of painting. And I'm here to tell you, I don't, it's not, no. not at all. It's not, it's not an easy way of painting. And so I think you have to have, you, there's a lot of discipline, right? That you, over the years, to get to a point of this, of a brev- of brevity, right? Uh, and so, you can't just immediately jump towards it. Um, but, you know, one of the things that can help you is using a much bigger brush than you think you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it forces you to use that brush in ways that a smaller brush, you know, when you have that tendency to render, keeps you from rendering. And and that's that's an important part of it. Yeah. Uh, so I think bigger brushes and then also having uh, a lot of paint on the palette. But going back to this idea of discipline, you know, behind, the, you know, there's a ton of drawing. You know, I even did a lot of figure drawing and stuff like that and probably would still do it if I if I didn't, you know, the things that I described to you mm-hmm. before. If you didn't hate people so I much. I probably would. Yeah. It's interesting. Even if I have somebody in my studio, I know, I know you're able to totally deal with that. I, I had an assistant for a while that kind of helped me with things and I, it was too, I don't know. It was just, it was hard for me. Hmm. And so I, I just can't have it. I need to kind of have quiet and I, I start worrying if they're having a good time, even <laughs> yeah. though I'm going, you know, and so, uh, you know, that that's one thing. Like learning how to paint in a, a brief sort of way, I think still life is is still one of the best tools to do that. Yeah. You know, and one thing you can do is kind of set a timer. Uh, like, what can you achieve in twenty minutes? Hmm. And start making those decisions, and then you can find out if you are understanding how to hit the right shadow value versus the light value, you know? Do you know where that soft edge needs to be? Do you know where the hard edge needs to be? Do you, are you understanding this so that in 20 minutes you could get the right relationship? We're not talking about perfect refinement, but could you get the basic right re- relationship on an onion or orange or whatever, light side, shadow side, or face, right relationship, light side, shadow side. Can you get those two values correctly in, in 20 minutes where they're right? And I imagine, uh, you know, something like, you know, if you were painting, you've, you have so many years of doing it that it, it probably wouldn't, you saw a face and you you just had 20 minutes to just get that relationship right. You could easily do it. you probably do it in five. And that's because of all the discipline that you've had over the years. Uh, and so that's a similar kind of thing with with landscape painting too, or, you know, cityscape, or whatever whatever you're interested in is, if you have that familiarity with it, you understand how to see value and how to interpret it into an actual tone that you mix and make, Uh, you can paint rather rapidly.
0: Yeah. You know, you had said something earlier about using a bigger brush, and it reminded me of, um, I don't know if you remember this, but the time I took your workshop, I don't know, it was maybe 10 years ago. It's been a while. And we went to lunch after, and we were talking about how, or I brought up how, strange it was that I was the only professional artist that was studying with you in that workshop out of 15 people, and yet I was the only one using the brushes you recommended and the only one following your instruction. (laughs) Do you remember that? Oh, man. And I just thought, why are these people taking this workshop? They're not doing anything he's saying. But then I've since taught my own workshops, and I found that that's not an unusual thing. But... (laughs)
1: It's just so uncomfortable. I think people try it maybe even for a half hour and they're like, I can't do this. Let me go back to my default setting. Yeah. You know, Well, well. it's intimidating.
0: It's intimidating. Yeah, so, You want to go back to what's comfortable. So, so you, to ease your intimate, you know, that intimidation a little bit maybe, but another question I have for you that I've always wondered about this. Well, especially since I've started trying to dip my toe in landscape painting. Is How do you, especially if you plan on changing things, um, how do you know when you're looking at a good subject? How do you find a good subject? I find I could drive around for hours not, not knowing what's a good subject, and, but you're going to change it yeah. anyway. So, I, I mean, how do you know when, you, when you've seen one?
1: That's a that's a great question because you know when we when I teach a landscape painting say say I taught a studio one where we're actually not even plein air but we're doing photographs ninety nine percent of the time somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience in landscape painting will show me an unpaintable photograph you know they're just even starting off in the wrong foot yeah uh, so I think if you're one of the things that I've said before is look for something that paints itself. And this is this is kind of what I mean by that, is that you're looking for contrast in the midground and you're looking for strong, clean, clear shapes. You're looking for something that's in the midground because what I find is that the, the foreground, the whole purpose of the foreground is to lead your eye into the midground. And so that's why you're gonna have to range rearrange everything anyway. And so I don't worry so much about what that foreground is going to look like. Because I'm going to have to add or delete or thread something through that anyway. If I find something that's great in the midground, that's usually where your focal point is going to be on any given landscape. And so, you know, what where, what are natural contrasts? Well, water creates a natural contest, contrast. Contrast um, different material, whether it's rock against tree. You know, tree is an upright plane, so it's generally going to be dark. Um, Rocks, depending on their value or color, are going to be lighter. So you could have a contrast between those two if you have rocks against trees, if it's a natural landscape. Or if you have something where there's um, uh, buildings or things in the way, you're going to have tree, which is a dark shape against maybe a white building or something that's light. So water, building, rock, you're looking for contrast because Mm. that's what creates focal point, right? Yeah. Natural area of contrast. So... That's what I'm going around looking for is something that has contrast. And if you have great looking shapes along with that, then you've made your job way easier and that painting will paint itself. If you have contrast, but the shapes are kind of so-so, and you have to really design everything from kind of the ground up, you're going to make it a lot tougher on yourself.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: I think uh, this is why I think winter paintings, winter can be both easy and hard. Winter is easy in the sense that it's like snow. Mm-hmm. It creates a natural pass between, you know, upright planes like trees and the ground. But one of the things that people struggle with is the shapes. You've got bare trees, and so they think they need to paint all the individual branches instead of looking at it as a shape. And so you have to imagine the shape of that tree rather than, you know, thinking about all the individual branches. And so that takes some imagination uh, to do that.
0: Okay, so I'm looking at a uh, a couple of your paintings here. So, and I see exactly what you're saying. So, the house is the midground. The foreground has no contrast, and a few of these little areas back here would be the background. And the sky is the background.
2: Yeah, right. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a dark light, light up,
1: strong dark, strong light. The roof, the shadow underneath the roof creates creates your contrast there's your focal point. Mm-hmm. Plus you got a sharp bit with, with the barn. Um, and then you've got mid-tones in the foreground, mid-tone in the background.
0: Right. The piece of cake. <laughs> yeah, it's easier said than done. So, <laughs> let's talk about your imaginative work. This is really cool. And it does, it does remind me of Star Wars. So is this completely yeah. out of your imagination? So, yeah, just... You know, just completely out of, your, out of
1: my head, and, and it's something where I'm, I wanted this feeling of this kind of dappled light going through a kind of a canyon sort of thing, and uh, insinuating there might be some movement in the kind of the back there. And the focal point in this isn't terribly strong, uh, but I do like just the way the light is raking across through this canyon and the kind of feeling of. You know, I stopped because I liked the freshness of it. And it also felt an, complete enough that it could make a statement. You know, it has atmosphere, it has light, maybe a little bit of movement in it. And so I was like, I conveyed what I wanted to convey. A massive scale. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's this, this Star Wars where they're going through two parts of the Death Star, you know, and that's the kind of idea is this megastructure and you're kind of looking through it. And it's so big that there's atmosphere in it. Uh, and then you look at just on an abstract level, uh, each of these beams that cross the Canyon are going in slightly different directions. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, the way I've designed it, I feel like it's very natural. Like it could be, if we tilted it on, rotated it on its side, it could look like a forest
2: mm-hmm.
1: beams in their different directions in different ways they're doing it. Uh, so you know, I think on an abstract level, it reads, uh, and, and and this is what I was after. I was after a science fiction-based scene that is an abstract painting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I see a lot of
1: very really slick stuff, uh, you know, in the movies, mm-hmm. and I don't have those. I don't, I'm don't. i not working for any client. I'm just doing this for my own personal enjoyment and exploration. And so I don't need to finish it to the nth degree. I conveyed what I wanted to convey and so, you know, that's how that's how I did it. One thing that's interesting, I painted it this way, and this is how I like it in this vertical position. But the person who bought it from me liked it better in the horizontal position. So, oh. but I did. I put two wires in it so that they could hang it. They could hang it vertically or horizontally or however they wanted to. Oh, and that didn't bother you. Kind of you weren't
0: like, no, it's going in vertical, or else you were okay no, with that. No, I like I
1: it. it.
0: Could be interpreted in, in oh. multiple cool ways. Okay. That's great.
1: Kind of the uniqueness of this abstract design and painting.
0: So here's another one of your imaginative ones. I Man, yeah, I can't even imagine. So the
1: idea here is I, you know, I scuba dive, like I said, and you know, going through the kelp forests, which is truly a it's a transcendent experience. The kelp forests are they're just incredible incredibly beautiful and so this is kind of like that but in a more maybe mechanical sort of way mm-hmm. um, and you can see weaving through here are are those fish or those spaceships what is that you know there are you know this these moving things going through and then i have some some uh, kind of organic perspective lines leading you into the scene and then just a lot of fun with the mark making uh, and again keeping it in very fresh not fully describing what's going on as well uh leaving it up to the imagination keeping it somewhat abstract uh, and and that's that's how i like it i like that kind of ambiguous narrative that that's in in this i, yeah. I like the fact that i haven't told i'm not, not really an illustrator here i don't need to be an illustrator i'm not paid to be an illustrator so I can kind of leave it where i want to leave it
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh you know people can enjoy it. You know, if you see this on the wall it it's uh you can put it in a very modern home and it has you know it's just got a kind of a cool vibe to it yeah uh,
0: what's interesting like, to me who is this artist
1: that on- yeah Acid trip kind of
0: what's interesting to me is it's very abstract and yet it has so much depth and um i mean it just feels like you can step into it so it's something and nothing at the same time
1: yeah so there's going back to the idea of you know you can just barf on a canvas and it's Mm -hmm. not gonna do anything but there are principles at work here like all my cityscape training uh you know there's linear perspective that's being felt here there's uh you know atmosphere you know years of painting layers and layers of fields or layers and layers of mountains or layers and layers of city. Uh, All of that stuff is, you know, that knowledge is being put into a painting like this. So it's not just me, like, completely abandoning all um, love and reason. I, you know, there's still, there's still all those elements that are a part of it. And in each of these imaginative works, I do have these elements of, you know, there's perspective and there's atmosphere. And a sense of light in all of them.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's really beautiful. And so that's
1: that's what I like about, or that's kind of the abstract work that I would like to see. That in the during the abstract movement and abstract period of painting, the fact that they just flattened everything, there's no sense of light, there's no depth. I just think it could be much more interesting. And this is an example of what I would have liked to have seen. Yeah. during that abstract movement, and uh, that's kind of. What I've done here, and and you know, there's there's people that enjoy it. it. This is, I think, this is kind of at a level like I was saying, the rhythms of nature that I'm really interested in. I do recognize that this will be completely lost on ninety nine percent of the people out there. It's like uh, you know, artists that like to do atonal harmonies in their piano playing, or you know, in their mm-hmm. music writing. Most mm-hmm. of popular culture, or people that love popular culture, are just going to look at this and think. This is, or not think anything maybe, or just like, this is dumb. Yeah. But I think some people are interested in, they've seen a ton of imagery and are kind of bored and are looking for more and other new, different things like that. I think something like this might be interesting to them.
0: Yeah, well, 1% of they people, haven't. still a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, no, well, I, I think it's Unfortunately, gorgeous. I found
1: enough people like it that I can, that I'm able to do it. And actually, you know, not that that's the end goal. I don't show these in any gallery, uh, but I, you know, I'm able to find people that that buy this work.
0: That's great. So I wanna look at your still life too. Um, Let's see. So you do this thing, I don't know, how often do you do it? It's called, where you draw or paint once a day for 30 days. Remind me what that's called.
1: The Strata Challenge. The
0: Strata Challenge. Yeah. And they these remind yeah. me of that because you often do these during the Strata Challenge. So, yeah, these tell are, us a little these little are about actually that. all done.
1: So, the only time I paint Still Life is during the Strata Challenge. Oh, okay. And again, I've taken that opportunity to paint these works during that challenge where every day as an exercise, as a meditation, I set an object together, and I paint it. Now, people don't have to do still life. They can do whatever they want. Um, I've just taken the opportunity to do still life because um, otherwise I probably wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's easy to do just on a pinch, right? You just grab an object, throw it on a table, and go. Exactly, yep. But they're very So you're
1: spending spending an hour or two on these and depending on the complexity or the size or whatever, and uh, you're just making some observations, right? Uh, it's also an opportunity for me to collect some interesting things uh, and, and try out stuff that I normally wouldn't try out. It's like, well, there's a couple hours of my time, you know, if it doesn't work out. And, uh, yeah. so, you know, and things have been fun. I've discovered, you know, I love painting bread because of, if you look at the the bread piece in the center there, that's it's the abstraction that I like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not painting bread per se, but it's the organic nature of it that interests me.
0: Yeah, I, I my your bread paintings yeah. are my favorite of your still lifes for sure. You can tell you really enjoy it. So tell us more about the Strata yeah, Challenge. So that, what is what is that, and how do you participate in it? So uh, I, I started the Strata challenge because I would
1: teach a workshop and then a year later I'd have people taking my same workshop and not improving at all. Mm-hmm. And I just, got, you know, you, you talk about your blue in the face, like you need to paint every day, right? If you're going to get better. And so, um, I decided like, Hey, you know, there's the Iron Man challenge. There's. There's um, a lot of athletic kind of things that people do for 30 days. So why don't we do um, something where we do a painting challenge? So, I mean, it's been about 10 years since we did this. So this is really early on. Now there's a million different challenges out there, um, aside from the Strata challenge. But that's, uh, that's, that's what I found at the beginning. You know, a couple of people were like, dude, paint every day for 30 days. That's too much to ask people to do. But I found that people just are so excited every every time it comes up to get ready to go and, and do it. And so we've kind of created a nice ecosystem. We have about 8,000 people in a group on Facebook. Wow. That, um, you know, paint the in the Strata Challenge. And, and, you know, a lot of people have been able to sell some of their studies and stuff like that. And for me, I've participated in order to kind of be a cheerleader. Um, I won't. I won't, I have to fess up. I won't be able to do it this September. I'll be in New Zealand, but I really think that uh, it's benefited me as well, you know, to to do these kinds of, uh, you know, exercises, quick exercises. Uh, I've, you know, I've learned a lot from all of it. Hmm.
0: And then you give away something, don't you? Like an easel or one of your Pashad boxes?
1: Yeah. We give give away five easels.
0: Five. So we give quite a bit of something.
1: Yeah, we give a lot of a lot of merch. There's some other people that are uh, involved, other companies. And so we give brushes away and panels and, and other things, too. So it, hmm. it's it's just there to motivate people. But I keep telling them, you know, don't worry if you win or not. It it really is all about doing the miles and getting better. And I've some some people said they got them through cancer, chemotherapy or other people through, you know, difficult times. Just gave them something to focus on. We do it in January when it's kind of the new year and people are kind of motivated to take on a new challenge. And then we do it in September as well, uh, you know, as people are kind of getting back in the school year, kind of settling down from the summer, want to refocus on their art. So those are kind of the two times that, we'll, that we do it. And I just found that it's been really positive for a lot of people to get over the rut of beginning,
2: mm-hmm. of
1: starting, of motivated and and what I feel like we create here is the um it's like going to class or it's going it's running with a whole group and I found that my kids it's just amazing they get up at five in the morning and go running with the other cross-country people and they wouldn't do that by themselves but since all their friends are there running they'll go do it and I, I feel like this is kind of the same thing that we've tried to create here so I've really, you know, with the Strata Challenge, with the Strata Easel, with I've seen a problem that I've had in my own life and I've really wanted to, even with Vision X, you know, the whole idea of, well, let's change this. I don't like how the world's functioning. I want to see something different. Let's change it. Let's make it better. Let's improve it. And, uh, you know, it's been fun to, and gratifying to do that. And so I think, you know, when we talk about an artist's life, I think also, um, you know, how we help other people is a part of that legacy, too. You know, you hear about some artists, perhaps really selfishly, sure, they made these really amazing, wonderful works of art, but at the end of the day, they were just horrible to their family or whatever, you know, Uh,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or, you know, just abusive or whatever, I don't know. The things can happen, not always obviously, but I, I think that uh, you know, looking at an entire artist's influence and, and careers is, is kind of important. And I know that artists, even really fantastic ones have had their have their issues and have their skeletons in the closet. I don't necessarily fault them for that. Um, you know, we're all human, uh, but at the end of the day, you wanna live. Mm-hmm. you don't want to just have people clap when you're dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can be buried in the pantheon, but yeah. you're still dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. A lot of people have, you know, when I was coming up in the art world and in college and stuff, I remember artists would always talk about how they want to leave something behind. And if whether, if you're a religious person, like I am, my feeling is, well, the only thing I'm taking with me is what I learn. So it's better what happens to me than what I leave behind. So I've always been about making myself smarter and better. Right. But if you're not a religious person, it kind of is the same in the sense, like, who cares if you left stuff behind, you're dead. Anyway, it's not going to make any difference to you. You're just eating dirt at this point, you know? So it's right. it's an interesting aspiration, and I you know I don't fault people for that either. But it's an, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this yeah. Is- and I like- oh, go ahead. Even if the studio burnt to the ground, right? I would feel you know I'd
1: be I'd be a little heartbroken for a day or two, but I think I would just feel actually relieved to some degree. <laughs> All- <laughs> I could start over and start building new things you know there's nothing better than when i clean my studio and throw a bunch of old paintings or stuff away and then start fresh Mm -hmm. and uh i think some to some degree it could really help an artist to have their studio burned to the ground
0: oh gosh kind
1: of really see really important to you and it should be i believe it should not be the objects in your life or things I really think it should be well how are your late relationships? how, how do you how are you enjoying life, or do you enjoy the fact that you know things that you didn't know before, the skills you developed? And, yeah, and all of that? And so it's kind of a a little bit of a test, right? So,
0: yeah, I like that kind perspective of maybe kind of wrapping up here, yeah, no, and I want to ask you one final question. I ask everyone this, so. If you could give a piece of advice to an aspiring young artist, what would it be? Now, and keep in mind that I want, you know, you are not a, you're not your typical artist. You, you're an artist in so many areas. So um, I'd, be, I'd be curious on what your piece of advice would be to an artist slash entrepreneur who's just starting out. Yeah, that is,
1: that is a great question. Um, well, if you add the entrepreneur piece to it, it's mm-hmm. a little bit different and maybe a bit the same. But I think starting uh, and f- starting and be willing to fail, persistence and failure, right, are a big part of of what um, an artist's life is, right? I, I. Uh, If I could, if I had the mental ability to completely ignore or the worry about whether I had talent enough to do it or not, if I could impart that gift on a young artist and say, you will never have to worry about whether you have the talent to do it or not. Hmm. And they could just set that aside and just go and do it. As long as they, you know, have the self-motivation, then um, I think they'd be just fine. Hmm is that persistence as you're trying to find out? Because here's here's an example. Here's 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 what, like a pitfall. A lot of people talk to me like, oh, I have this business idea. And I'm like, well, are you doing it? No. And then they kind of start thinking of all the problems and reasons why they can't do it and all this stuff. And they don't even start. Right? And they're like, well, how would you get started? Well, I start folding some paper and started thinking about What an easel would look like or I just start. I bought some paints and started painting um now that doesn't mean you go you don't go and find the right mentor things down the road because I think mentor is a very critical part of of learning your craft you know studying with you studying with an artist that um that exemplifies some of the things that you want is I think it really it's a much quicker way to uh go forward uh but i do think that a lot of people have all these ideas but they just don't the ignition part or just starting and failing is is just so hard for them to do and they sit around and talk about it for years right and don't ever go forward and doing it and so if you're not one of those types of people that feels like they can just jump in and start doing it, I don't know if art is the right career for you. Hmm. You might need some extrinsic motivation. You might need a job. You might need a boss, a taskmaster, because art is so much about the driven human, the, the human that you couldn't like if you put you or me in jail. We would, you know, be working on a Sistine ceiling. <laughs> in the jail cell or, you know, who knows what, right? Right. Uh, so it's something that you have to be really honest with yourself. You can't lie to yourself as if you have intrinsic motivation or not to, hmm. uh, to go forward. So it's kind of a self-assessment yeah. of, of, uh, of motivation. What's motivating you and does that, uh, does the motivation that you have, Will that motivate you to walk over hot coals? Because an artist's life is not an easy life. You're not choosing, you know, sipping uh, lemonade by the poolside. You aren't. It doesn't matter how much you make or it's like you're not gonna retire, Jeff,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right?
1: you imagine yourself retiring? I mean that that's such a stupid thing for an artist what? to say, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? But people retire in their, in their fields because they never really fully wanted to do it in the first place, right? That's why there's the idea of retirement. But an artist doesn't retire because they have this desire to improve, to learn, to grow, to explore, to create. And uh, so that's the question you need to ask yourself is if, if you are in possession of that. Right. And if aren't um, trying to find ways to, to, to motivate yourself and maybe one of those ways like i like i've shown here is uh like this ignition idea is uh being with a group Hmm. studying with a master Hmm.
2: you
1: know that motivates you that pushes you there's nothing better than being with a group of people that are a whole lot better than you are at something that you want to be good at and that's what i tell my son you know he's sometimes he gets down on himself cause he's not the fastest runner in the group. But I'm like, you don't want to be the fastest runner in the group or it's you're in the wrong group, you know? And that's what I found. Like, you know, people like you and, and, uh, other colleagues that I know you guys are all doing such amazing work that it's like, I'm never going to get to the bottom of this. There's no way I'm going <laughs> to even scratch the surface of what I want to scratch. You know, there's just so much out there to learn and study and get better at. And, and so that's why, you know, conversations like this are important, um, you know, going to conferences are important, uh, studying with a master's is important, is that can, those can all help that ignition, help you move forward, if, especially if you don't have that intrinsic motivation. And, uh, and maybe it can, you can ignite at some point. But then there's some people who are just born that way that are kind of driven. And I, I guess to some degree as a, as a kid, I was pretty driven. Um, I have a feeling you were too. You kind of
0: mm-hmm. came out of the gate. You know? No, actually, I wasn't as a kid. My mother worried about me. Yeah, something about testosterone really? made me kick in. Yeah,
1: because <laughs> you know we can talk at the end of the day, like whether you know how to do your your curls or how to lift weights and stuff like that. But you know if we can't get that person to the gym or it's a, even in remotely hard for them, what are you going to do to help them? You can't help them at all if they're yeah. not willing to. Or just so like knocking on the door at 8
0: a.m. and say, okay, are we ready to go? we Are ready to go? Now bright-eyed and Mm bushy-tailed. Yeah, well, when you're an artist, you don't have those people to run with anymore. You got to get up out of bed every morning and go to work by yourself and figure out how to motivate yourself. So I think it's interesting. I've done so many of these interviews now, and every time I get a different piece of advice, which is really, really great and enlightening and inspiring. And this is very unique advice and what I take from it are two things. One of the things I like that you said is don't worry about your talent. Don't worry about how good you are. And that's a thing that's crippling. But then also this idea of assess your motivation. Yeah. Those are great pieces of advice. I appreciate that. Brian, it's been an awesome conversation and thanks for taking the time. I know how incredibly busy you are. So I really appreciate it.
1: You know, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, appreciate the the talk and this is kind of unique in terms of the talks we've had uh, or at least that I've had in the past with other podcasters where it's been a little bit more about painting and stuff like that which is fine and good but I'd like to get beyond or underneath all of that yeah and find out you know just we'll talk about a little bit more of the mechanics of a human psyche and and what that does to motivate someone to
0: create. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you
2: next week.